0: It is great to be here today, and we appreciate your presence very much. We've got a few visitors in the crowd. We're very happy that you made the decision to come and worship with us today. I hope that what I had to say will be helpful to you in some way. I want to thank Brad for the prayer on my behalf. I've been doing a lot of studying in the book of Galatians recently, and as you go through these uh, books in in detail and kind of go over and over and over, and as I was talking about with Brother Trevor before services, you find so many... Details that you've never noticed before, in verses that often you've known your whole life that you've sort of taken out of context, not necessarily misusing, but not seeing how they apply it to the overall message of the letter that Paul is writing to them. And it's been an extremely faith-building exercise for me to really dig into this letter uh, to the Church of Galatia. This letter is an impassioned plea on Paul's behalf to these people, these brethren that he loves so much, to hold fast to the truth and the true nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Galatians, uh, I know in my younger years, I, was mis- I misunderstood what the Galatians were. As many of the books in the Bible, or at least the letters in the New Testament, I assumed it was one city. But Galatia, uh, so I've lost some... Noah, could you start my presentation over for me real quick? I left it at the end when I practiced this morning, I guess, and just hit the last slide. Uh, Galatia is actually a region... If you can start it from the first slide. (laughs) It's going to be a really short sermon today. We're starting at the end. Okay, here's a map of uh, what's sort of like, I guess, modern-day Turkey. And Galatia is that region right in the middle there. So Galatia was not a specific city or town or village, but a region that contained multiple congregations. And those congregations were mainly of Gentile origin, not Jewish Christians, but Gentile Christians, And so Paul, as he would go through here on his missionary journeys, establishing congregations, he would preach the gospel to them, establish churches, ordain elders and deacons, and then he would move on. And as we would find out uh, in the book of Acts, there's a group of people we call the Judaizers who claimed to be Christians. They were Jewish, supposedly Christians, who would come in and would try to make these Gentile Christians observe parts of the law of Moses, and specifically circumcision was one of the main things that they were trying to bring in. And so what these Judaizers would do is they would come into a congregation and, you know, paraphrasing obviously, say, you know, it's cute that you Gentiles think that you're the people of God now, but if you really want to be the people of God, what you have to do is observe these specific things out of the law of Moses, be it circumcision or the Sabbath or certain other things. And part of the way they would do that is they would try to undermine the teaching of Paul by saying that Paul wasn't a real apostle. They would undermine the authenticity of his apostleship. And so what we find in the book of Galatians, Paul's message to them is that, listen, I know that some of you are already listening to these people. You've been taken in by these these false teachers and you're starting to follow after them. Some of them had probably started obeying these people. And so Paul's message to them is twofold. First, the message that he goes through is defending uh, the legitimacy of his own apostleship, and in doing so can then have the authority to go in and say, the gospel that I preached to you before is still the same gospel, and it's the one true gospel, and you need to hold fast to that. You don't need to lean on anything else except the gospel which we preached to you. Galatians chapter one, verses six and seven, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then we bookend that by Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And obviously there's a lot that goes on between these two passages, and even some after that, but what, what we want to focus in on is the message that Paul is getting across here. You've turned away from the true gospel and there's not any other gospel but the one true gospel, just perversions of it. And I want you to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. I want you to stand fast in the true gospel and don't try to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that is the book of Galatians in a nutshell. And what we're gonna find is Paul drilling down into this and going into detail, showing them the error of their ways, and trying to show them you need to stand fast in the gospel and not worry about these teachings that these people are bringing in. As we go through probably at least a couple of more sermons in this little mini-series on the book of Galatians, we're going to get into other details. We're going to skip over probably quite a few things in this that you're used to seeing from the book of Galatians this morning. What I want to drill down into today is the one true gospel, the essence of Paul's message, and what he's trying to get across to them. He is astonished as we just read. He's astonished that they're turning away so soon. Uh, And if tone is any indicator, he's angry. You can hear it as he talks to them, and especially as he references these false teachers. He goes into some pretty graphic language later on that we're not going to hit this morning, at least, about how he feels about these people and the, the message that they're trying to propagate to these Gentile Christians. And so there's no other gospel, he says to them, there's just Perversions of what these people are bringing in. You know, with a lot of Paul's letters, he spends a little bit of time in his his greeting, his salutation, and he uses some flowery language. He talks about how I miss you, I wish I could see you, I'm hearing good things about you. With the Galatians, there's none of that. He gets right to the point. He basically starts off and he says, "Well, you know, peace be to you from God and." you people need to fix yourselves is basically how he goes about this message. So Galatians chapter one, beginning in verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul, you may notice it already. He's already hit that twofold message we've talked about, defending his apostleship and the one true gospel, an apostle, not from men nor through men but through God, through Jesus Christ. So he's already saying, listen, I am an apostle and I'm a real apostle. And I don't know what these other people have told you, but I'm a real apostle. I'm an apostle on the authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him he's hitting the gospel, God raising Jesus from the dead. And then he goes into that further in verse four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So already in these five verses, Paul is basically saying, this is what we're talking about. I'm defending my apostleship, and through that I'm showing you that I am a legitimate apostle. I have the authority to teach from Jesus Christ. The message I've received is from him, and you've st- you strayed away from that. You're following something else that's not the true gospel. I want to talk just for a few minutes, very briefly, about Paul defending his apostleship. I don't think it's as important for us, because I don't think there's anyone here this morning who's going to say Paul wasn't a real apostle That was the message to these people because that was how the Judaizers were trying to undermine what Paul had taught them. But Paul starts out in verse number 10, do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So Paul is asking this rhetorical question, do you think I'm trying to please men or please God? Because if I was just trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And you and I know that as well. We can't please everyone, but if you want to please a lot of people, the way to do it is to not be a Christian. If you want to to please a lot of people in this world, being a Christian is not the way to get it done. And that's what Paul is trying to tell them here. I'm not, I don't have an agenda, is what he's saying. My agenda isn't to, to please men or to get some pet doctrine that some other man taught me and to teach that to you. I'm simply here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11 and 12, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for it was neither received from man nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, what I'm teaching to you wasn't something that somebody sat down with me and said, this is our plan, God's plan of salvation. Now, we know that Ananias came to Saul, as he was known at the time, in the city of Damascus, and and taught him the gospel and baptizing, but he's not talking about that. What he's talking about is my message, what I've preached to you. That didn't come from a man. It came from God. It came from direct revelation of Jesus Christ, just like the other apostles received it. And He says in verse 13, you have heard of my formal conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now he's pivoting back to his past and he's doing this for an important reason. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. He talks about how I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He talks about his pedigree as a Jew. He said, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. Paul called himself in another place in the scriptures, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When it comes to this type of person, Paul was it. He says, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And I did my best to destroy the church because I thought that was the right thing to do. Now he goes on in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So what he's saying here is when I became a Christian and after I left that old life behind, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He said, Paul, eventually went down to Jerusalem, we know, but he said, immediately, I didn't go down to Peter and those other apostles and say, hey, will y'all make sure, you know, I'm the junior apostle. Will you make sure I'm doing things right? No, because he had received that revelation from Jesus. He knew what he was doing. He didn't need the authority of Peter and James and John and all those other apostles in Jerusalem. He was the real deal. Now, listen to what he says in verses 21 through 24. Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which you once tried to destroy and they glorified God in me. This is why Paul is talking about his past. You know a lot of times we talk about uh, Christian evidences or apologetics we talk about proving the re- proving the resurrection and the, the gospel of Jesus and we, we love to look at the apostles because it's great evidence. What happened to them after the ascension of Christ and what those men did and what they went through, the things that they suffered and most of them being tortured and put to death for their beliefs. Men don't do that for something they don't believe in. They don't do it for a lie. And Paul's saying, I didn't give up my status as a Jew, as a Hebrew for nothing, I didn't do it just to please men, and I didn't do it to change my mind about what, how the gospel works going from place to place. It was something real to me. You know, Trevor talked a few weeks ago about the price that Paul paid. Everything, he said, I've counted everything as rubbish. Everything but Jesus Christ as rubbish in my life. And it was a price worth paying. But make no mistake, he was persecuted for it. He suffered for it. And he says, I didn't do that for a lie. I didn't do that for something that didn't mean that much to me. And so we see him defending his apostleship and showing them what I taught you before was true, it's still true, and it doesn't change. The one and only gospel. That's it. There are no others. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, he says to them Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It doesn't matter if I come back to you and preach something else. It doesn't matter if another apostle comes to you and preaches something else. It doesn't matter if an angel from heaven comes down and preaches another gospel to you. Let him be accursed. Don't listen to him. And then he treats them like I've got to treat my kids sometimes. He repeats himself. Did you not hear me when I said to take out the garbage or to put up the folded laundry? He says, as we have said before, now say I again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received, let him be accursed. Repetition. It indicates, number one, you can clearly tell he's angry here. He's frustrated. And it's important. They've left the truth of the gospel behind. And Paul says, I don't care who it is. You know, I heard a preacher one time even say, if God himself came down and preached another gospel. Don't listen to him. I don't know if I'd take it that far or not. That's not going to happen, obviously. But what he's saying here is, listen. Don't listen to him. They're coming in here with these lies, with false doctrine, and they're perverting the gospel, and they're leading you away from the truth. Don't listen to them. I want to skip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a couple of minutes here. And partly to show, it really plainly shows here the facts of the gospel and what we're talking about, but also to show that Paul's message to these different congregations was consistent. He wasn't teaching one thing at Corinth, another thing at Ephesus, another thing at Colossae, and another thing in Galatia. He wasn't doing that. So he starts off in verse number one here. This is the ESV. He said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received and in which you stand and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance that which also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what we have here, verses 3 and 4, he's giving us the facts of the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So these are the facts of the gospel that save us the power of God unto salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we coming into contact with this gospel when we're obedient to it in baptism, emulating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But look at what he says up at the top here, verses one and two. He's reminding them of the gospel. And first of all, he's reminding the, the church at Corinth about the gospel because they had a different problem. They, there were some there that were teaching that the resurrection wasn't a thing. That there was no resurrection from the dead. And so different problem, but the, sort of the same in that they're still perverting the gospel of Jesus. And so he's reminding them that the gospel contains resurrection. That's what it's all about. So I'm reminding you of that. The gospel which I preached to you, which you received, you received the gospel, you obeyed the gospel in which you stand and by which you are being saved. And I think this is critical it's critical for us to understand, and it's critical for the point that he was trying to get across both to the church at Corinth and the church at Galatia, the churches at Galatia. See, I still fall into that trap. It's critical for, that, for this reason. The gospel is not a one-and-done thing. Certainly, we begin our process of salvation in baptism, and we're not baptized over and over and over, but the gospel doesn't end at baptism. It simply begins there. That's where our journey begins in the gospel, Paul says, you are being saved by the gospel still. It's not something that happened once and now you're just trying to do the best you can. It's something that continues to happen over and over and over. Listen, I've heard many sermons in my life and I've even probably said the same thing from the pulpit. What are the steps in God's plan of salvation? To hear the word of God, to believe it, to repent of our sins, to confess Jesus as the son of God and to be buried with him in baptism. I believe those steps. They're true. They're necessary. They're part of the foundational aspects of what it means to obey the gospel. But then what do we tack on the end of that a lot of times? Here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and then live a Christian life. As if that's one of the steps, that's something that's required of us in order to receive salvation. But the living a Christian life, though, it is important. It is something we should be doing. It's not part before our salvation. It's after it. And the gospel is still what continues to save us after our initial step of baptism. It doesn't co- the living a Christian life doesn't cause our salvation. It's a result of it. It's proof of it. It's showing. It's a litmus test to show that we are people who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and who are walking in the Spirit. We're going to come back to that here in a minute. Oh, foolish Galatians. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 4. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Oh, foolish Galatians, he's talking to his kids again. What in the world are you doing? You know, I love the blank stare I get from my kids sometimes when I ask them that question. Why did you do that? What were you thinking? Uh, I don't know. And I can just assume the blank looks of the Galatians as they read this letter. What are you thinking? Who cast a spell on you to cause you to believe these lies? He says in verse two, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now this is a rhetorical question. He knows the answer and so do they. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course it wasn't by the works of the law. These were Gentiles. They weren't even under the law of Moses. They received the Spirit. They received their salvation from the hearing of faith. That's how they received it. And so then he asked them, knowing the answer, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Now that you've begun, you've begun your walk with Christ in the Spirit Now are you gonna turn back to circumcision and these other laws to try to perfect yourself as a Christian? You've left the spirit behind for the flesh. That's what you're doing in essence. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? He says in verse four. So now this process, the thing that he was teaching the church at Corinth about the fact that the gospel was still saving them, it makes sense in light of what he's saying here to me at at any rate. You began in in the spirit But now you're trying to go on in the flesh? No, the gospel, the thing that initially saves you, still saves you. It's still your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you going forward. Nothing changes that. You don't start off with something great and then try to trade that in for something of less value, but that's what they were doing. That's what the Judaizers were trying to get them to do, to take this thing of great value, this pearl of great price, and to give it away for something of less value. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Galatians 3 and 26, he says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not through the works of the law or any other law or any other actions of yourself. The only reason you're a child of God is because your faith in Jesus Christ, because you responded in faith to the gospel. And he says in verse 27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You know, I was talking earlier about making connections as you study a book, really get into the the full message of a book and making connections that you'd never really thought of before. How many times have we read this passage, Galatians 3.27, when we're trying to show the essential nature of Baptism. Whereas as many of you have been baptized to Christ have put on Christ. You wanna put on Christ, you need to be baptized. And the message is there, don't get me wrong. But I love the versatility of the word of God because that is not what Paul is trying to teach these people. And just like we talked about in the book of Romans, as you get to Romans 6, Danny's talked about this too. Paul is not trying to tell them, you need to be baptized to be saved. He's trying to tell them, you've already been baptized. This is what this means for you. These are the implications of this. And so what he's trying to tell them, you're leaving the gospel of Jesus behind. You're giving it up for something of less value. And when you were baptized, you put on Christ. You were clothed in Christ. And now you're taking him off and going for something else. But I love the fact that the implication is here. To get into Christ, you need to be baptized into Christ in order to put him on. The trap we have to avoid is to think that the obedience to the gospel and baptism is where the gospel ends its work in our lives. It's just the beginning. So why does obedience matter? If that's the case, if we can't perform to a level to deserve our salvation, and it's only through Jesus and it's only through faith in Him that we have salvation, why does obedience matter? We mentioned it briefly earlier. It's not the cause of; it's the result. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 1, the verse we read at the beginning of our sermon this morning, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. He's getting to the heart of the matter here. If you make the choice, if you make the decision, to, now that you've started in the Spirit, but now that you're going on in the flesh to, to go on to perfection that way, Christ will profits you nothing. Christ died in vain. Why would you do that? Verse 3, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Now here's the thing about these Judaizers. They weren't coming in and saying, here are 613 commandments from the Old Testament and you have to obey all of these. They weren't doing that. Jesus was still part of the message. What they were doing is they were saying, well, if you really wanna be a follower of God, then you need to be circumcised and maybe you need to follow the Sabbath a little bit and maybe you need to refrain from eating certain meats and then you'll be a follower of God. But what Paul is telling them here, listen, if you're gonna be circumcised or do anything else in the law of Moses, you gotta do it all and you gotta do it perfectly and there's no getting around that. And what makes you think you can do it? And, and, and what baffles me, what I keep coming back to is the fact that these were Gentiles who were never under the law of Moses. It'd be like us. Our, in our heritage, uh, maybe some of us, we can trace our lineage back to a, a Jewish or Hebrew lineage. I don't know. My mom tells me I've got Native American in me, but I don't know how she knows that. I'm not gonna do the DNA test. I'm afraid of what I'm gonna find out there. But at any rate, here's the deal. If you're gonna do any part of the old law for the purposes of justifying yourself before God, you gotta do the whole thing. And that's the whole point of Jesus Christ coming. Nobody could do that. All the law did was point out the magnitude of our sin and our need for Christ. He says in verse four, you have become estranged from Christ or separated from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Yes, you can fall from grace. Paul had come into these congregations and preached Jesus, preached the gospel. They had obeyed the gospel and received it, and now they were falling from grace because they were trying to be justified by the law. Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. So here's where we're getting into why obedience. And it's amazing to me, really, when you look at the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, Galatians is, in, in many ways, an abridged version of, of parts of the book of Romans. Because where we're at right here is, is Romans chapter 6, verse 1. "'Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid!' What he's saying here is the same thing. You've been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Just because you have liberty in Jesus Christ, just because you've been forgiven of your sins by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus, that doesn't mean you can just live your life any way you want to. You can't, do you not know that as many of you who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into the likeness of his death? That's what Paul said in Romans. I'm paraphrasing now but that's what he's saying here. You can't use your liberty in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. You can't just continue to live your life the way you want to. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about obedience, walking in the spirit. But the, the why we do that and the how we accomplish it is much different than the Jew at that time who was saying you've got to obey this law in the, in the law of Moses in order to be saved. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But, you're le- but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. Now we're in Romans chapter 7 when Paul says, okay, the things that I know that I should do, I don't do them. And the things that I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing those things. And that whole convoluted series of, of, of passages where he talks about the flesh warring against the spirit, he's saying the same thing here. His message is consistent. The flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. The difference is when we're led by the spirit and it's not about I'm looking through the word of God and trying to follow all these laws so I'll be good enough to get to heaven. The difference is Jesus Christ gave himself for me. Jesus Christ shed his blood and died on the cross and rose again to give me eternal life. And now I'm gonna serve him in gratitude and love and faith for the rest of my life. Faith in what he did for me, not what I think I can do for myself. That's why obedience matters. He says in Galatians 5:19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, so on and so forth. And he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot read this passage of Scripture and say obedience or performance doesn't matter. The difference is why it matters and why it doesn't. What he's saying here is, listen, you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no way of getting around that. A person who lives a life in this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, on the flip side of the coin are the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live after the Spirit. And again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is what comes after, right? Right? A tree blooms and then produces fruit. Well, in order for us to produce fruit as a Christian, we have to already be a Christian. And we're gonna produce fruit when we're a Christian and we follow after Christ out of love and gratitude and service. And we're living this way. He says, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions. The apostrophe S means he owns us. We're his, it's possession. We belong to him. If you do these things, if you've crucified the flesh, then you are Christ's. If you go back and you do these things, you don't belong to Christ anymore. And you've fallen from grace. Someone who clearly lives their life this way, you can say you're a Christian all day long, but if you're living your life in this way or any other way that's contrary to the word of God, obviously you don't trust in Jesus. Obviously you don't have gratitude for what he's done for you. And obviously you don't trust in his promises, and you don't trust in the gospel if you're living your life this way. But if you're living your life this way, you're Christ's. If you've crucified yourself, excuse me, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we're gonna talk the talk, you better walk the walk. And that's how the gospel works in our lives after our baptism. We live our life In the spirit, walking in the spirit is a life of gratitude and service and thankfulness and love towards the one who gave himself for us. You know, throughout this whole letter, and we've barely even scratched the surface this morning, you can hear the anguish, the frustration, the anger of Paul as he pleads with these congregations. Paul truly loved these people. He only wanted them to stay firm in the truth, the truth of the gospel. He says in verse 12, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. I think kind of one final thing he wanted to get across to them is listen, it's not about circumcision and it's not about not being circumcised. What it's about is Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. Paul says, I can't boast in anything. You know, Paul says in in other places, if I was gonna boast, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Look at all these things I did. I could boast in that as a Hebrew. In Christ, I can't boast in anything except the gospel. Nothing else matters. And it it doesn't matter if I've been circumcised or if I haven't been circumcised. What matters, is I'm trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation, not anything else. Nothing else. And when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not just preaching baptism. It's the beginning and it's important and it's essential, but it doesn't stop there. The gospel continues to save us as we live a life in faith towards Jesus Christ. I don't know where you stand this morning. If you've never been obedient to the gospel, now's the time to do that. Those important steps of believing the word of God, repenting of your sin and confessing Jesus Christ as the son of God, being buried with him in baptism, take those steps today and begin your life living in service and faith and gratitude to the one who gave himself for you. Some of you may, having begun in the spirit, are now trying to go to the flesh and justify yourself in some way. I know that it's very easy And I think this is the trap for us as Christians in this day and age. Not to go to the law of Moses, not to go to circumcision or anything like that, but to begin looking at ourselves like, you know, I'm a Christian now, and in some way I deserve what I've been given, and I've earned it, and I'm better than the people that I see out in the world. But God forbid that I should boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're subject to the gospel call, if you need the prayers of this church this morning, please come have a seat in the front row while we stand and sing.